right, so now uh, Miss Kathy has Children's Church, and Mr. Dale's helping her. So if you want to go to Children's Church, they're headed back there, and that's where we'll be. I, uh, I, realize, I realize in moments like earlier that probably I'm not best fit to be a dad because when they're sliding across the altar, I can't help but laugh. And that's probably not the reaction you should have. But anyway, um, so yeah, thank, thank you so much for your gifts for us and uh, for all the ways that you've made this a, a Merry Christmas season for us. And we hope that'll be the case. Hope you have the chance to come out tonight and hear the radio show. If you can't make it out tonight for whatever reason, we're going to broadcast it on Facebook as well. There'll be something special about coming out in your car and listening on the radio and getting some hot chocolate. But if you uh, want to stay home and listen to it on Facebook, you can. And it should be available also later on if you can't catch it at the time because you have another commitment. But we have a lot of uh, folks from our church are going to be a part of it. And I'm looking forward to that. It'll be a great experience and a fun time. Always one of my favorite stories is the Christmas Carol. You know, it took me... A while to like the book of Revelation. And, and I say that as somebody who has liked the Bible for a really long time, as long as I can remember reading, I can remember liking the Bible and liking stories in the Bible. But there were different times in my life where I liked some stories better than others. When I was a young boy, I just really enjoyed all the stories of kings and prophets and warriors. You know, I just enjoyed that kind of mindset and that, those kind of stories that I would hear. Um, I, uh, of course, always love the stories of Jesus, uh, but I think it took me a long time to fall in love with the book of Revelation. It probably only happened over the past five to ten years of my life, and I think probably part of what Revelation, uh, what it takes to fall in love with Revelation is experiencing life and realizing that, man, we really do need a Savior to show up. We really need a Savior to show up and speak hope to us when there doesn't seem like there's any hope. And I was reminded of that this past week as I, look, as I look at the situation of my friends who lost uh, their two-year-old daughter. And just the, uh, all, the world that we live in where things like that happen and you know that they should never happen. And you know it just breaks your heart and you can't figure out why. And you need someone to speak to you a word of hope. And, uh, and I shared some of this in an email if you read it. But if you didn't, I'll just share a little bit. There's a guy named Dale Allison who writes a great book called Jesus the Millenarian Prophet. And, uh, and he says, Jesus, the millenarian, sorry, herald of judgment and salvation, says the only thing's worth saying. His dream is the only one worth dreaming. If our wounds never heal, if the outrageous spectacle of history filled with cataclysmic sadness is never undone, if there is nothing more for those who were slaughtered in death camps or for six-year-olds devoured by cancer, then let us eat and drink, for tomorrow we die. If in the end there is no good God to calm the sea of troubles, to raise the dead, to give good news to the poor, then this is indeed a tale told by an idiot signifying nothing. And in this book, Allison does a great job explaining how Jesus shows up to say, this world full of tragedy, this world full of brokenness, there is hope, and I'm offering it to you in relationship with God that I'm showing you. And the writer of Revelation, his whole life and his existence has been taken over by this belief that Jesus is the true king who was promised and only faithfulness in, to worship him, to follow after him, gives us hope for existence. So that's incredibly important to remember Revelation. And as we go through life, 
to know that this is the Jesus who shows up and speaks to us in every moment of our lives, the good, the bad, the happy, the sad, the unbelievably tragic and the unbelievably joyful. He's there speaking to us about a life that is to come, and he shows up in a manger, and Revelation knows that same Jesus and says he's coming back again, but every moment until then, he's going to speak to you about this life that's possible through him. So I want to talk to you about that today. I'm going to read to you a couple of sections in Revelation. We're looking at Revelation chapter 12, 13, and 14, but I'm just going to read to you a section in each one of those chapters. So first, we're going to read Revelation 12, verses 1 through 12. A great sign appeared in heaven, a woman clothed with the sun, with the moon under her feet, and a crown of twelve stars on her head. She was pregnant and cried out in pain as she was about to give birth. Then another sign appeared in heaven, an enormous red dragon with seven heads and ten horns and seven crowns on its head. Its tail swept a third of the stars out of the sky and flung them to earth. The dragon stood in front of the woman who was about to give birth so that it might devour her child the moment he was born. She gave birth to a son, a male child, who will rule all the nations with an iron scepter. And her child was snatched up to God and to his throne. The woman fled into the wilderness to a place prepared to her by, by God, where she might be taken care of for 1,260 days. Then war broke out in heaven. Michael and his angels fought against the dragon, and the dragon and his angels fought back, but he was not strong enough, and they lost their place in heaven. The great dragon was hurled down. That ancient serpent called the devil or Satan who leads the whole world astray. He was hurled to earth and his angels with him. Then I heard a loud voice in heaven say, Now have come the salvation and the power and the kingdom of our God and the authority of his Messiah. For the accuser of our brother and sisters who accuses them before our God night and day has been hurled down. They triumphed over him by the blood of the lamb and by the word of their testimony. They did not love their lives so much as to shrink from death. Therefore rejoice, you heavens and you who dwell in them. But woe to the earth and the sea, because the devil has gone down to you. He is filled with fury, because he knows that his time is short. Now, I share this, uh, this story with you, this picture, this image that John gives us. And it, it would make for a good movie, I think. If you, if you made this movie and you marketed it as an epic fantasy, I think people would be into seeing this movie. And a lot of great imagery of the dragon and the dragon's followers and the angel, Mark Angel Michael and his followers, and this woman who gives birth to this male child who was promised, and the dragon wants to get the child, but the child escapes, and, and then all of a sudden there's this lamb who was slain, and he pops up again, and everyone who's faithful to the lamb they have this life that lasts forever. It's a great story that unfolds for us. And one thing that's neat about it is this is actually a Christmas narrative. If we were to look in the Bible and we were to say, well, where do we have the stories of Christmas? We have Matthew that tells us the story of Jesus to Mary, Joseph, and the wise men. We have Luke who tells us the story of Mary, uh, Joseph, uh, Jesus, and the shepherds and the angels. And we have John who gives us kind of an, a theological view of the word became flesh and made his dwelling among us. We have seen his glory, the glory of the one and only who came from the Father, full of grace and truth. Mark doesn't give us a Christmas narrative, but Revelation does. Revelation's Christmas narrative is right here. It's the woman who gives birth to the male child who was promised to rule all nations. And so he's unpacking for us here the story of Christmas and continuing it in the work of the church. So that's something that we should notice. 
And it's, it's pretty exciting, right? When I, had, uh, when I had Kenny read a Christmas story to the kids, well, I'm sorry, Santa. When I had Santa read a Christmas story to the kids, um, I did not choose this narrative, although it might have been more exciting for the children, but I didn't, I didn't choose this narrative. And that might be because there's some interpretation involved, obviously, that we have to sort through a few things. Who's the dragon? How does this come about? But if we follow the Christmas stories, we know that very soon after Jesus was born, there was an attempt made on his life. We know that Jesus' entire life is spent kind of on that razor's edge of political power trying to take Jesus out, of religious leaders finding Jesus a threat to their power and plotting against him, of political leaders like Herod saying, we've got to stop this guy if he's got any sort of threat to my power. And that is all reflected here in the story. The dragon is the one who brings all of the forces of the world, forces of resistance to God, forces of accusation that God can't be who he says he is. The very first thing that the devil ever says is God isn't who he says he is, are coming against Jesus from the moment he enters this world, because Jesus enters this world just as we do, living our lives at our level. That's all reflected here in this passage. Now, uh, this passage, it's probably not that we should look at it, this idea of the woman here um, who, you know, it says the woman's clothed with the sun with the moon on her feet and a crown of 12 stars on her head. She was pregnant, cried out in pain, was about to give birth. And as we follow her here, John seems to be talking about a, a broad vision here. It's not just Mary. Yes, it does refer to Mary. Obviously, Mary gave birth to Jesus. And we know her obedience to say, yes, may it be to me as God has said that is the whole opening of Jesus is entering the world through the obedience of this woman who says yes to God's plan. But Mary is also an image of what's to happen in the church. The church is meant to live into that mindset of saying yes to God, whatever he wants for us. So John's got both of those images in mind here. The woman is not only Mary, but it's also the church who brings Jesus into the world each and everywhere we go. This is actually made really clear for us if you read the gospel of Luke and then you read Acts. At the beginning of Luke, the angel comes to Mary and says, The Holy Spirit will come upon you, and the child to be born will be called the Son of God. At the beginning of Acts, Jesus turns to his disciples and says, The Holy Spirit will come upon you, and you will be my witnesses. And they're the exact same phrase. Luke wants you to know the same message that Mary got is the message that God is giving for you. Jesus wants to be born into the world each and every day in a little way through you. Now, no, uh, no at all, I don't want to tell Mary that when I experience Jesus entering the world through me and my life is the same thing as giving birth. Because I've been there in the room and I know I can't compare to the amount of strength and, and power it takes to bring a child into this world. But what the passage is saying here is that God is birthing a new life, a new experience of existence through Jesus entering my physical body and displaying his life to the world and John has that same mindset here and you look at this passage and it's the hope for the entire world now I, I don't want to spend a lot of time talking about Satan because he doesn't deserve it <laughs> but this passage talks about this idea of one who opposes and accuses God's people and we know that happens we know that the world is full of opposition to God and God's plan God does not uh, desire for there to be war in the world. God does not desire for innocent lives to be lost. And we know that all that is connected to the brokenness in the world around us. And the devil is directly a part of that accusation, that movement against God, that opposition. And Jesus speaks into the middle of that. I love a couple things about how it, it 
shows here that, that the devil is defeated. It says that the devil is defeated because they triumph over him by the blood of the lamb and the word of their testimony. Again, it's the sacrifice, the sacrificial love. It's the, the faithfulness to uh, proclaim the truth and the love and the good news that Jesus brings that brings victory over all evil, over the devil, over any forces that oppose us. And then I, I don't love the translation it has here in uh, the NIV. It says they did not love their lives so much as to shrink from death. But literally, it should probably be translated that those who followed after Jesus loved their lives too much to shun death. And you can see why they may be translated a little differently, because that sounds contradictory. Yeah, I love my life so much that I will not shun death. But the, the image here that John's giving you is that for those who follow after Jesus, and those who know that the Lamb has triumphed, those who know that this child who was given, and he gives you that cadence of a son, a male child uh, given to us, uh, that those who know him know that death is not the end, and that everything on this life is to prepare us for a life that is to come, that the shadows and the images that we see here are fully revealed in a love and a life in the presence of this child who rules all existence. And so if we're faithful to follow after him in self-sacrificial love and in, in proclaiming his name, we will not be afraid of death because we love our lives that he have, has given us so much. And this is, this is just an amazing look into the mindset of a Christian that John gives us. The Christians in the Revelation are not afraid of death, but they absolutely love their lives. They love the lives that God has given them. They live them fully and freely in pursuit of obedience and love of Jesus, and it changes everything in the world around them. Uh, the presence of Jesus means that there is hope for each and every person. No matter what you've gone through, no matter what your past is like, no matter what brokenness exists in the presence, there's, in the present, there is hope for us through Jesus and his giving to us. Well, let's keep reading. Uh, in chapter 13, verses 5 through 8. So in chapter 13, we turn our attention to the beast. Uh, and uh, you might have heard people talk about the beast in Revelation. The dragon leads us to a beast who comes and he, he opposes God's people. And that's the image here in chapter 13, verses 5 through 8. The beast was given a mouth to utter proud words and blasphemies and to exercise his authority for 42 months. It opened its mouth to blaspheme God, to slander his name and his dwelling place and those who live in heaven. It was given power to wage war against God's holy people and to conquer them. And it was given authority over every tribe, people, language, and nation. All inhabitants of the earth will worship the beast, all whose names have not been written in the Lamb's book of life, the Lamb who was slain before the creation of the world. So I, I wanted to talk just briefly about the beast in Revelation because if you've hung around in Christian circles, you've probably heard people talk about the beast. And you may have heard people say, well, I know who's the beast and here's this person. And if you read Revelation and you come to the conclusion the beast is 100% this person, you're really probably missing what John is trying to say. Because for John, the beast is the leader, the head representative of earthly political power, of self-will and selfish authority in the world. Now for John, John makes a specific reference to Nero. And as I said before last week, Nero also is a, a foreshadowing for John of Domitian, who's probably the emperor at the time that he is. Both, you know, brutal to everyone who opposed them. Both engaged in tactics that caused a lot of deaths of Christians. 
But for John, it's not the point about, oh, the beast is Nero, the beast is Domitian. John is talking about this is the best that the world has to offer. And it's a strong man. It's a leader with authority that people want to follow. It's a leader who says, come under my authority and I'll keep you safe. Come under my authority and I'll give you riches and power. Now, I don't know if, if you've noticed that each week for our responsive reading, we have been reading from uh, Mary. When Mary uh, goes to Elizabeth and Elizabeth recognizes that the Messiah is in Mary's womb, Mary responds with this song of praise. And we read today in the song of praise, she says that, oh, this one who's coming, he's the reminder for me that God is going to bring down rulers from their thrones and he's going to lift up the humble that God is going to send the rich away empty and fill the, poor, and fill the hungry with good things. Mary's song, if you read Mary's song in Luke chapter 1, sounds a lot like Revelation. Because John is speaking about this upturn, this upheaval, turning everything upside down of the way that the world works. And you'll notice here in this passage that it says that every tribe, language, and nation worships and follows the beast. And that is, should be a reminder of what we read last week. Jesus, the lamb who was slain, it says every tribe, language, and nation falls after him. And so here's the conflict. The beast is the best that the world has to offer, the best strength that we can find in the world. They're the, the powerful nation that we've always dreamed to uh, make everything right, to right all the wrongs. Uh, we'll, we'll say the, uh, the right you know, uh, phrase to be a citizen of this nation because that way it will have our back. For John in his day was Rome. You can look throughout history of all the nations that we've been able to offer, how we've all played that part at one point or another. Some of our nations are better than others, I would say. And given some time, some of them are better than others. I'm grateful to live in the United States for a lot of the great things that the United States offers and, and the rights that we have here. But I also recognize deep flaws that have happened in our country for years and years from the time that we've existed I recognize that in all the nations. No nation is perfect, right? And everywhere we look, if we look at nations' histories, we see people who are poor and people who, who need help turning to strong men, to leaders who don't offer what it is that God wants for us. And John reminds us in Revelation that we are meant to worship Jesus and Jesus alone. Uh, when, I, when I think about this passage, I think about... Um, I think about uh, my love for Chelsea, who's not in the room, so she doesn't have to be embarrassed. But, um, but I, think about, I think about this past week, uh, Chelsea and I, we, of course, we first kind of encountered each other on Christian Mingle and then not wanting to live our lives as online daters only. <laughs> we said, hey, maybe we should meet in person. And so we went and we met at Corky and Lenny's in Mayfield, which Corky and Lenny's just closed down this week. And I asked Chelsea, what does that mean? Uh, you know, and... and uh, uh, I, I won't tell you what she said because it was sarcastic. But I said, I think, I think, I said, I said, Corky and Lenny's closing down is a reminder of how strong our marriage is. That like we outlasted the place where we first met. And and when I when I uh, proposed to Chelsea, I made a scavenger hunt where we went all over to different places we'd gone on dates. And we went to Corky and Lenny's, and a very flustered waitress tried to help me get her to the next clue when I walked into Corky and Lenny's. And I'll have all those memories, but that place is closing down. It's not going to be there anymore. But when I, and that's, that's a little sad, right? That's sad to think about. But I'm happy to know that, hey, my commitment to Chelsea goes way beyond that. Even more so, I, as I thought about Corky and Lenny's closing down, I realized that my love for Chelsea is going to last a lot longer than anything on this earth. And the way that you can know that is that uh, the, kid, the little creatures that were sliding up and down the altars, those things are 
eternal. Their lives will last forever. And Chelsea and I created those things with the help of Jesus, obviously. It was his design, he brought the, but, but we brought those about. They are forever a reminder and an image of my love for Chelsea and her love for me. And so despite what Chelsea will say, which is Jesus says there's no marriage or giving a, mar- giving a marriage. So in, in heaven, we're probably just platonic friends. Uh, despite, despite what Chelsea says, I want you to tell her today, I want you to tell her today that my love for her is going to outlast the stars. The stars that burn out, they will last. And I know it because I saw those kids slaving up and down the altar. They are a reminder to me that my love is going to continue. The eternal nature of that is not going to leave. In the same way, in this passage, when John is talking about the beast and the best that the beast has to offer and what the lamb has to offer and what the child who rules with an iron scepter has to offer, he's saying the love that you experience, the life that this one offers you, outlasts anything the world can provide. It's what you were made for. It's why you love. It's why you live. It's this one who's been promised, and nothing the world will offer will ever be able to compare. All right, one little, one little spot I want to close with in Revelation 14, 6 through 8. Revelation 14, 6 through 8. Then I saw another angel flying in midair, and he had the eternal gospel to proclaim to those who live on the earth. That word gospel is good news. So think of angels flying in the air saying good news. Does that sound Christmassy to you? Sounds Christmassy to me. I proclaim to those who live on the earth, to every nation, tribe, language, and people. He said in a loud voice, fear God, give him glory, because the hour of his judgment has come. Worship him who made the heavens, the earth, the sea, and the springs of water. A second angel followed him and said, Fallen, fallen is Babylon the great, which made all the nations drink the maddening wine of her adulteries. Now, I enjoy this passage because, um, for one, when it says the angel cries with, la- cries with a loud voice, it reminds me of walking into any store with Elliot, who speaks in volumes that no one should speak in and doesn't understand that like there's such a thing as an inside talking voice and a shouting voice that the same thing. Uh, that angel seems to be that way. He just says everything really loud. And he proclaims good news. And the good news is judgment has come. Isn't that funny? Here in this passage, he says, good news, everybody, judgment. And you're like, that, that doesn't sound great, angel. Go on, go on. And as he goes on, he talks about this idea that Babylon has fallen. Now, uh, there are a couple times in Revelation where this angel speaks of Babylon falling, and then all the saints who are gathered before God's throne, sing about Babylon falling. So for John, Babylon represents Rome. It represents all political powers. The beast is the head of Babylon. Babylon is this image, as we saw, Babylon comes in and destroys God's city and takes away God's people. Babylon is the image of the best that political power has to offer coming against God's people, and it's fallen. So today, I wanted to try to get us into this mindset, so I decided... You have a, a pastor who um, is like a theater kid and stuff, so I better do something at least a little bit different. And so my idea today is this, okay? When you think about Revelation and you think about the good news of the angel, when you think about the Christmas story as John presents in Revelation and its reflection and how Mary speaks of Jesus coming and how he's bringing down the, rich from their th- the rulers from their thrones and he's sending the rich away empty, I want us to think about um, all those rulers from history who have tried to destroy God's people. And you know their names, you know Hitler and Mao and Stalin. 
But you know, today it's still happening, right? You know the rulers and the leaders today who are interested in their own power, money, and authority. You know that in the year ahead, we're about to put up with so much, so much arguing and fighting and people trying to convince you that this or that person is going to be the answer when we all know they're never going to be the answer. When we all know that as much as we love our country, the only hope we have is found in this child who's been given to us and living into the kingdom that he promises, the peace that he can bring, the life and the love that he offers us. And so in the year to come, I want you to think about Revelation. I want you to think about this Jesus who's given to us, and I want you to remember a song like this that I'm going to play for you. Now, you, won't, you maybe won't be able to sing the whole song with me, but I guarantee you can get to the chorus with me. Hail the day so long expected, hail the year of full release. Zion's walls are now erected, and her watchmen publish peace. Through our Shiloh's wide dominion, hear the trumpet loudly roar. Babylon is fallen, is fallen, is fallen. Babylon is fallen to rise no more. That's the part you can do. Babylon is fallen, is fallen, is fallen. Babylon is fallen to rise no more. All her merchants stand with wonder. What is this that comes to pass? Murmuring like the distant thunder, crying, oh, alas, alas. Swell the sound, ye kings and nobles, priests and people, rich and poor. Babylon is fallen, is fallen, is fallen. Babylon is fallen to rise no more. Babylon is fallen, is fallen, is fallen. Babylon is fallen to rise no more. Blow the trumpet in Mount Zion. Christ shall come a second time. Wearing a robe that's dipped in his blood. Washing with redemption's blood. Babel's garments we've rejected, and our fellowship is o'er. Babylon is fallen, is fallen, is fallen. Babylon is fallen to rise no more. Babylon is fallen, is fallen, is fallen. Babylon is fallen to rise no more. Babylon is fallen, is fallen, is fallen. Babylon is fallen to rise no more.